Well, we're not going to be in numbers tonight. I hope this is okay with you. I want to depart just for tonight. There's still quite a lot for us to consider in numbers, and Lord willing, in future weeks we will. But for tonight, in light of the fact that it's the beginning of a new year, I thought it might be good for us to make some serious commitments to avoiding excuses that keep us from spending time with the Lord and uh, commit to uh, giving Him what He wants, you, me. He wants time with us. Like a wonderful heavenly Father, He delights in time with His children. And so in order to encourage this discipline, and that's what it is, Instead of numbers, I want to direct your attention to a much shorter book. Uh, it's called Habakkuk, Habakkuk. And uh, while I say a few words about it, you can get off to a good start and try to find it. It's a bit tricky. Uh, as a hint, it's in the Old Testament. Uh, do not be reluctant to use your table of contents, no problem. Habakkuk is in there. In Hebrew, he's, he's pronounced Habakkuk, Habakkuk. So now's your opportunity to clear your throats. Habakkuk. And the name uh, is not just an uncomfortable sound. It means to embrace. And if you were to look to this brief book closely, you would see how this man, Habakkuk, embraced God in a personal, very authentic and honest way. And I want us to see that so that we would do the same. We would follow this man's example. So here's how it begins, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, the oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw. Uh, He saw and then he wrote. He wrote what God enabled him to see. He was a seer and he wrote what he saw because he was a prophet. And God chose him to write things available to us down to this very day. We know very little about Habakkuk other than this particular role. He was a prophet. And we know that he wrote about 600 years before the time of the Lord's time here on earth. There are many prophets whose writings are recorded for us in the Old Testament. But this one is unique amongst all because Habakkuk's remarks are addressed, unlike the other prophets, not to another people group or nation. His remarks are addressed to God. So if we look closely, we get to look at the private experience this man had with his creator God. And we could learn from it. He has things to say to God, and he begins to do so in verse 2. How long? Raise your hand if you have ever been so bold as to ask that question in two words of God. How long? Both of mine in the air. Listen, I want to tell you this is characteristic of humankind. We're in the midst of circumstances from time to time that become painful, unpleasant, and even unbearable. And so it's very natural for us to cry out to the one we think can alleviate it with these two words, how long, how long. If you have ever done that, do not feel bad about yourself. Feel human. 
This is characteristic of humankind. We couldn't stand it if we knew certain of our struggles would never come to an end. And we simply want to know from God, when will that end be? So we ask these questions, how long? Don't you see Habakkuk, again, meaning to embrace, was embracing God, not in flowery words, but in an honest overflow of his hurting and confused heart. This tells me we can do the same. Don't be afraid of taking your concerns and even complaints to Almighty God. He has big shoulders. He can take the heat. Who else are you going to speak to honestly? Who else can resolve your pain and your confusion? So Habakkuk embraced God. It's good to thank God. It's good to praise God. But in this case, he's complaining. How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. It appears that Habakkuk's problem was this. There was violence in his day, evil and corruption. And he knew that God was not like this. This didn't reflect God's makeup. Why then would God allow it to happen? We ask the same thing. How long, oh God, will injustice prevail in our world? How long? Will oppressors oppress the needy? Will strong take advantage of the weak? How long will one people group exploit another? How long before we have leadership that reflects your heart and values? We ask the same thing. So you know what our problem is? We see a discrepancy between what we know of the character of God and yet what our eyes reveal to us to be true. We know that God is good and does not sin, in fact, can't even be tempted to do so, and yet we see plenty of unbridled sin all around us, and we can't square the two. So we say, how long, O oh God, will you require that I witness, that I experience, that I see this unchecked evil, this violence in my day? So that's Habakkuk's situation. Could you relate? Oh, you could. I know you could. Uh, you know, this word really is God's word, and it could really read our hearts. We think we read it, but no, it reads us. It knows what we're going through. 600 years before the time of the Lord Jesus Christ, whose birth we just celebrated, 600 years before it, God knew people like us would run into conditions similar to those in Habakkuk's day. So he cries out to God, how long? And then... Furthermore, he says in verse 3, why? Now, that's the second question common to humankind. The first is how long, and the second is why. Now, this will be something uh, I, to which the answer is obvious. How many here have asked that question of God? Please raise your hand. Why? Why? Of course. Uh, if, if, if you ask that question of God, you can see statistically by the show of hands you're in the norm. You're not strange. You're not weird. You're thoroughly human. How long, O oh God, and why? So Habakkuk asks this question, why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contention arises. Look, he didn't want to get out of bed in the morning. All the news was bad news. It was the economy. It was the international scene. It was immorality. I mean, it was the same stuff we have today. And so he complains to God. From an emotional point of view, 
if we were to diagnose his condition, we would say he's, he's suffering from anxiety, even depression, if we wanted to so label him, because those emotions existed in that day just like they do today. We would say he's fearful, and he's anxious, and he's depressed. We would say all of these things. Okay, now that being the case, I want you to skip to chapter 3 for a second. This is a terrible way to handle the Bible. So don't make this a pattern. Just for tonight, we're skipping a little bit, because I want to show you something. So in chapter 3, would you take a gander uh, beginning at verse 17? Let me read just uh, three verses to you there. Habakkuk 3, 17. Though the fig tree should not blossom, and there be no fruit on the vines... Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the fields produce no food, though the flock should be cut off from the fold, and there be no cattle in the stall, though there be a total collapse of the economy, essentially is what he's saying, yet, though all these things be, yet I will exult, means to rejoice. I will, I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God, he said, is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds' feet. It's an idiom, meaning he makes me to float above it all. It's like I'm walking on air. He's made my feet like hinds' feet, and he makes me walk on my high places. So I ask you a question. Are we reading about two different Habakkuks here? Because the guy earlier on in chapter 1 is anxious, depressed, and fearful. This guy is ready to jump up and clap his hands and dance and thank God and rejoice in spite of circumstances. What ha is, he, is he schizophrenic? What's the deal here? Is, do, um, are there two Habakkuks who wrote, one wrote the first chapter and the other wrote chapter? No, it's not. Did the circumstances change? Oh, that's what it was. The circumstance, no, they didn't. History tells us circumstances in Habakkuk's day got worse. They didn't get better. So to what can we attribute this remarkable transformation, emotional turnabout from depression and despair and anxiety to praise and gratitude and confidence and peace and safety and security? I'll tell you what it was. Habakkuk met with his God. It's not trickier than that. Habakkuk, Habakkuk had a time alone with his God. I can show it to you. Would you go back now to Habakkuk chapter 2? Isn't this a terrible way? If you're new to the faith, God bless you, and I am confusing you like crazy because we should go chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, but we're going here, hither and yon. Anyway, would you take a look at chapter 2? Verse 1, I want to show you what Habakkuk did and what accounts for the emotional transformation he experienced. Verse 1 of chapter 2, I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. Habakkuk said, I'm going to look to God until he 
looks to me. I'm going to speak to God, for I need him to speak to me. Life's circumstances have overwhelmed me. I'm going under. I need to be raised up. I must look up to the God of my salvation. Now, I want for us to take apart verse 1 so you can see in a very practical sense some of the things he did in order to commune with God. For instance, I will. That means a deliberate act of the will. It does not come easy to meet with God. You know why? It's a supernatural experience, and we are natural. (laughs) Natural things come easy to us. Spiritual things we have to grow into. So it takes discipline to meet with God. That's why we have all the excuses we do. I'm tired. I'm busy. Other things beckon for my attention. I understand that. I have the same excuses. We had some fun with it tonight. But frankly, there's no magical way for this to come easily. It's discipline. It's the same discipline that people call upon to do anything they think is of value, including development of the physical body or personal hygiene or academic pursuits. All those things are acts of the will. So, so I wonder if in 2012 you're willing to be on the verge of stating it to be your will to meet with God regularly. Oh, church on Sunday, thank God that we could get together. Not good enough. What about the other six days? So Habakkuk says, I will stand. Do you know in the Old Testament people were frequently falling down before God, and he was frequently saying, stand up? (laughs) You know why? He doesn't want his kids coming like beggars. Do you want your kids and grandkids coming that way? They have opportunity to crawl up on your lap no matter what their frame of mind is or what their diaper smells like. And that's how God is. He delights in his children. So you stand, not with arrogance. I don't mean that. Just with confidence that you have standing with the Father because you have the Son in your life. And he gives you access to the Father. I will stand on my guard post. Many here have been in the military, uh, and just about everyone else supports the military. Thank God for that. When in the military, it is inevitable you will be doing guard duty at one time or another. That's just the way it is. Nobody likes it. You just do it. I remember one time I was in the Air Force first, got thrown out, and then went into the Army because their standards are lower. And... uh, And I remember doing guard duty on an Air Force installation uh, with a a weapon over my shoulder, and there was this massive, I'm not lying to you, airplane. It was on the flight line at Offutt Air Force Base, Omaha, Nebraska, Strategic Air Command Headquarters. It was some kind of aircraft. I don't know what it was. Big. And uh, for a two-hour period of time, I had to walk around this airplane like this and not take my eyes off it. I had to circle the whole deal. Just walk around like this, so on and so forth, make sure it's okay. For two hours, you do, then another guy takes your place. 
And I guess the goal was to keep it from being stolen or something. And uh, apparently it worked, because on my shift, it, you know, it was still there. It just didn't go anywhere. So, but here was the deal. When I was on guard duty, nobody else was there. It was just me. There was nobody to talk to. There was no TV, no radio. They didn't have computers in those days. But they wouldn't have had those either. It's just you and you. And Habakkuk said he's going to meet with God on his guard post, not Grand Central Station. If everything you do as a Christian is with others, you're robbing yourself of your private, personal relationship with your personal Savior. There are times, I can get in trouble for this, there are times you should not in, 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 uh, engage in church activities. You should spend time alone with God. If your whole life is characterized by the group experience, you're probably going to feel lost in the shuffle when the Lord Jesus knows you by name and wants you to spend time with him. So do you have a guard post? Find a guard post, even in this hectic day in which we live, where it could be just you. It might be in your car parked some safe place where you will not be distracted. It could be in a room in your home where you close the door and put a do not disturb sign on it. Find a guard post, just you and the Lord. I will stand on my guard post and station. When you station yourself, it means you're in for the long haul. It means steadfastness. Don't let this be a typical New Year's resolution, which has a very short and narrow shelf life. Make it a lifestyle. Oh, God, I'm going to regularly station myself on my guard post so as to cultivate a private, personal relationship with you, for you are indeed a personal Savior. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart, and I will keep watch. That means alertness. So when I was a new Christian, um, the uh, alarm clock would get off in the morning, and uh, I was in the top bunk of bunk beds, and uh, my roommate in the military was on the bottom. I was a small guy, so he put me up on top. And uh, so the alarm clock would go off, and I had to have my Bible right there on my bed. The alarm clock went off. I would grab the Bible, you know, time for quiet time. But it was very unprofitable, and I finally figured out why. I generally associate the bed not with alertness before God, I generally associate it with sleeping. Generally, that's what we use the bed for, not serious study and time alone with God. So after all these years of, of doing my sleep time in this thing called a bed, I couldn't break the habit. When I'm in it, I'm going to sleep. So then I realized this was real brilliant insight that I could probably get more out of my time alone with God and be more alert if I got out of bed. Isn't that rocket science? And so what I would do is get up, get groomed, throw some water on my face, have a bowl of Cheerios or something like that, and get ready for my appointment with God. Good night. If you're meeting with your dentist, you get dressed up. 
What about the King of Kings? What about the Lord of Lords? What about this alertness that he deserves? So that's what Habakkuk did. I'm going to uh, keep watch. Uh, I'm going to station myself on the rampart. I'm going to keep watch to see. Now, that's a spirit of expectancy. When you meet with the Father, you should expect that the Father is going to speak to you. You should expect that he's not going to give you the silent treatment. You don't do it to your kids. He's the best dad. He won't do it to you. A spirit of expectancy that in those times, you're going to get two things that everyone here needs. One, guidance. We don't know what to do, folks. We're living our lives as best we could, but we're faced with so many twists and turns and decisions. We need guidance. Our Father will give us guidance in our times with him. And second, we need reassurance of his love for us, don't we? We say, well, no, why? Why should we require this of God? Didn't he demonstrate his love sufficiently to us when he suffered and died on the cross? Yeah, but do you know it's not enough? Let's just face it. We have to be reminded of God's love all the time. It's not just enough if you're a married person to have said to your spouse at the altar, I love you, and that's it. It's going to have to be repeated whether you like it or not. You can't say, I already, she says, don't you love me? I said, yeah, 30 years ago. I'm afraid it has to be a little more habitual than that. We are insecure members of the bride of Christ. We are the bride of Christ. We need assurance from our heavenly husband that he loves us and will always love us and will never cease to love us in spite of the fact that we are oftentimes unlovely. So those are the two things you get from meeting with God, guidance for living life and reassurance that he loves you through life no matter what. So Habakkuk chose to do this, and folks, it led his meeting with God. If you read the rest of Habakkuk, which we won't tonight, it led to the remarkable transformation in his emotional state of affairs from chapter 1 to chapter 3 because of what happened here, his quiet time with God in chapter 2. So what I would like to do in the time remaining is to show you how to do what he done did, so that you could have Habakkuk's chapter 3 experience after his chapter 1 experience. I'm afraid we can't avoid chapter 1, but we can move through it to chapter 3. So I want to show you how to have a great quiet time. And you'll easily be able to do it if you simply remember the word great, G-R-E-A-T, because each letter will stand for a step in this very simple process. I've made it very, very simple, because if it's not simple, we're not going to do it for too long. And I just want to challenge you in this new year to do this so as to cultivate a new and fresh relationship with the God who knows everything about you and loves you more even than words can express. So here's how it begins. Uh, the letter G, greet God. Greet God. Remember, relationship is cultivated by two-way communication. One talks while the other listens. Then the other responds while the first one listens. Back and forth communication. So you start by communicating with God. It's a personal relationship. 
just like a relationship with someone else. When you come upon one another, you greet one another. You say good morning. You say hello. You say good to see you. You say haven't seen you in a while. Do that with God. That's the G. Get up whenever it is you choose to have your quiet time. Go to wherever you choose to have it. Find your guard post and say, good morning, Lord. And you could do that. I'm going to give some time allotments here for each step to take away one of the most common excuses, I don't have time. Uh, this little formula is something you can do in five minutes. That's it. Five minutes. What if you don't have your quiet time in the morning? Fine. Do it at lunch. What if not at lunch? Fine. Before you go to bed. Whatever is good for you. Five minutes. So greet God. Put down, or at least remember, 15 seconds. So the first step is just 15 seconds. That's all. Good morning, Lord. Now the R. That stands for read his word. You said good morning to him, and now you want to let him speak to you. We call the Bible God's word because words are spoken. They're a means of communication. If you want God to speak to you, go to his word. That's the way it is. Read his word. Where? Wherever in the Bible you want to. But whatever book you choose to read, start at the beginning and continue until you're finished and you make it to the end. Show some respect to God's word. We show as much respect to the words of Shakespeare. Nobody reads Hamlet except from Act 1, then Act 2. That's how we should read the Bible. Some open the Bible, and where it opens, they read and think God speaks to them. He could. He does whatever he wants to. But he's the one who gave us the Bible in orderly fashion, beginning, middle, end. So whatever book you choose to start in, in this next year, start at the beginning. Read his word. For this, we'll allow a minute and a half. Um, uh, I'll tell you what. Let me be more generous. Three minutes. Three minutes for this step. So how much time have we invested so far? Three minutes and 15 seconds. Three minutes. Now I'm going to show you how to do it. Today is January what? Fourth. So let's assume I was starting my new quiet time method today in Psalm 4 because it's January 4th. Let's just say I decided to start in the Psalms. I'm going to start reading in Psalm 4. So I'll, I'll show you how I do it. I open to Psalm 4. And one of our big problems is we read too fast. So I have a little crazy device to slow us down. You open the Bible, and then you turn it upside down. But do not do this in public. And when you do that, you can't read it fast. You can barely make out the words. And this is going to slow you down. Because your adrenaline is dry. You can't even sit still for two seconds. So this is the discipline of slowing down. So you turn it upside down so that you can focus on each word. You say, at this rate, I'll never get through the Bible. That's right. But that's not the goal to get through the Bible. The goal is for the Bible to get through you. If you didn't finish it all and the Lord returns, 
I promise you, you will not be disappointed. You'll be in the presence of the incarnate Word of God. Now, there are other times when you read the Bible. Take a whole book and read through it. Or when you study the Bible. But this is quiet time. This is conversation. This is not you trying to understand all things. This is you giving God what he wants. Your time. This is you seated at his feet, listening to his word. So I'm here in Psalm 4, and it begins this way. Answer me when I call, O God. And then you do this. This is the key. Then you pick up your head and you chew. Answer me. And you start feasting on the possibility of you, a creaturely being, being heard by and responded to the creator of the world. Answer me. When, when I call, oh God, you stand ready to respond to me, but it is contingent on me calling to you. When I, oh God, what a privilege, what a responsibility. Answer me. When I call, oh, God. Lord, I take greater pains to get an answer from a physician, from a counselor, from a, an electrician, from a pastor. And it looks to me that I have the permission to commune with you. Answer me when I call, oh, God. Now I stop. Why? I have enough to chew on for the rest of the day. I take this nugget through the day. So I'm stuck in Houston traffic and on the verge of road rage. And instead, I'm thinking on God's word. Answer me. Look, I've gotten it memorized without even trying. Because I focused on one word at a time. Answer. I'll bet you know it by heart. Tell me, let's say it together. Answer me when I call, oh God. So you're in front of the mirror and you're shaving, you're grooming, and it's going through your mind. And you're carrying it with you through the day. And you're in meetings that are very boring. And you're going through this. And you're in situations you don't want to be in. And you're feasting on this little nugget. And then it gets to the end of the day and your mind is racing because so much has happened to you and your head hits the pillow, but your body won't grant you rest. And so you focus your thought life on this. Answer me when I call, oh God. Three minutes is all it took. Well, you didn't get through very much, but very much got through you. And you pick up tomorrow where you left off today. So I read the next phrase tomorrow where I left off today. You see? Answer me when I call, oh God. Three minutes. That's it. So we're up to three minutes and 15 seconds. Now the next step, G, greet God. E, R, read his word. And the third, the E, enter 
a thought. Enter a thought. Get a notebook, a journal of your relationship with the Lord. It's for your eyes only. Therefore, you don't have to worry about spelling and all that stuff. It's not for publication. It's your journal of your experience with the Lord. And you write in it, for instance, January 4th, 2012, Psalm 4, verse 1a. And then you write this thought. Oh, God, thank you for being there when I call. That's it. And we will allow 90 seconds for you to make your journal entry, a minute and a half. So now we're up to a total of how much time? Thank you. Four minutes and 45 seconds. You enter a thought. In this case, it was a thought of thanksgiving. It could be a thought of request. It could be a prayer for somebody else. But it has to be related to what God just shared with you. Otherwise, it's a disjointed conversation. If you say to somebody, uh, um, uh, good to see you, I haven't seen you in a while, and they say, yes, it is a nice day, isn't it? You have what's called a very weird communication thing here. You know what I'm talking about? So, so, so if God just spoke to you as he did, speak back to him, write down a thought connected to what he just shared with you. So based upon what you just read, this thought just came into mind. It's one of thanksgiving, that God stands ready to answer me when I speak to him. So I write that down. What's the value of that quiet time journal? Two things. One, you're going to be in the desert as a Christian from time to time. You're going to feel dry, even spiritually. It's just the way it is. And you want to grab your quiet time journal. You want to be reminded, oh, God, this is a record of my relationship with you. And you have been with me. I remember the time you shared this with me. I remembered when you said this. I remember when this thought was so meaningful to me. Oh, God, I remember prior dry times that you brought me through. So it's a source of encouragement. Second, it's a source of ministry. You'll always have something to share with someone else. You'll have coffee with someone, and you could say, great seeing you. Hey, could I share with you what God shared with me just this morning? And you just do it. You say, I was reading in a psalm, and it said, answer me when I call, oh God. Have you ever thought about the possibility of being able to be heard and responded to by Almighty God? You see, so you have a regular source of things with which to feed others just by allowing the Lord to feed you. So that's the reason why you want your journal. So four minutes, 45 seconds. Now we move on to the next letter, A, and that stands for answer God. This is just common sense. God spoke to you. That's the part where you read in his word. And now it's only fitting that you would say something back to him. You answer God. So based on what we just read, answer me when I call to you, O God, I may want to say back to God, Lord, would you help this to be habitual in my life? It's sporadic. Generally, Lord, I call upon you when I need you, but I would rather call upon you because I love you. 
15 seconds for your response back to God. Notice the cohesiveness of the conversation. God spoke to me. I write down a thought based upon what he just said. I say something back to him based upon what he just said. He sets the agenda for the meeting. So I don't take off in this time with all due respect, and I don't pray for countries of the world now or you. <laughs> That's a prayer time for later. This is romance with God. This is my time with him. This is his time with me. It's not so selfish. It facilitates everything else we do in the Christian life. Then we won't get so burnt out on one another. I'm telling you, it's a tendency. People drop out of churches all the time because we fall out of sorts with one another. I'm telling you, the thing that helps you hang in there is that's not the mainstay of your life, your relationship with the ones around you. The mainstay of your life is your private time with the Lord Jesus Christ. You see? So you, you answer God, four minutes and 45 seconds, and the last step, the T in the word great stands for tell somebody. Tell somebody. And we don't allow any time for that. Why? That's what you do as a lifestyle. You've had this experience, as have I. God shows you something from his word. And in a most wonderfully, delightfully surprising way, you're in a conversation, phone, letter, face-to-face, and it's like God's Spirit pulls it out of you so that you could offer it to someone else and make it a deposit in their life. Tell somebody. Happens all the time. It's like a, uh, a divine retrieval system. What you put in from the Word of God, the Spirit of God could pull out to make an opportunity for you to glorify God. So now you have something to tell someone because God has fed you five minutes a day. Now listen, we eat generally every day. We do not fast six days and gorge ourselves for three hours on Sunday physically. Why then do it spiritually? Why no communion of a quality nature with God six days and then stuffing ourselves on sermons, Bible studies, and all the rest on Sunday? I am not putting it down. I'm not saying subtract Sunday. I'm saying add to it daily experience with the Lord. And a little morsel each day of food is better than no food for six days and overeating on Sunday. So you say this five minutes isn't very much. That's right. It's a plan for success, not for failure. If you're like me, I'm going to give up on something if my goals are unrealistic and I can't meet them. So if my goal for 2012 is to spend two hours alone with God every day, don't let me discourage you from that. That's really wonderful. I'm speaking for me. I know before long I'm probably not going to do it. And even then, if I meet with God for an hour each day, I have a plan for failure, not for success. And nobody feels good about themselves if they feel like a failure. So why not plan for success? Uh, you have a better chance of succeeding at five minutes a day. And then if you have an inclination to spend 10 or more minutes with God, wow, that's just icing on the cake. 
better to do this. Is this enough to be sustained? Absolutely. Over time, Almighty God can pour into you nuggets of guidance and reassurance of his love so that you're nurtured by the Most High God who is your personal Savior so that you're filled to overflow so that you can make it through the wilderness journey on our way to the promised land. What if you miss a day? You do not lose your salvation. We don't want to make it a big legalistic thing. (laughs) Jesus loves you. And it's not a matter of what you do. It's his heart for you. So if you miss a day, don't go crazy and say, I missed a day, I might as well not ever meet with God. Just meet with him the next day. What if this next week you don't meet with him seven days in a row? No, 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 unrealistic objective. Think of how many times you had quiet time this last week. If it's none, all you have to do is have quiet time one time in this upcoming week, and you're already doing better. So don't make this a big, crazy thing that you grade yourself on, or I'm telling you, you're going to give up on it. I just know human nature. We're not going to do it. And don't make it complicated. Don't go into your quiet time with concordances, dictionaries, Greek lexicons, and all the rest. Don't be doing that. It's just you and the God who would have suffered and died on the cross if there was only you. Think about it. Give almighty God what he does not possess, you and your time unless you volunteer to give it. Quiet time. Ezra said, thy words were found, and I ate them. Actually, I think that was Jeremiah, one of those Jewish guys. And he said, thy words became for me a joy and the delight of my heart, for I have been called by thy name. You have been called just as much by God's name. Chew on his word. Develop the spiritual taste buds for it. So it becomes your nourishment just as much as your breakfast does. By the way, experts, I always say that when I want to make a point. I don't even know who they are. But experts say it takes about three weeks to form a habit. I don't know who said this. It just sounds good. So let me challenge you. Do this for 21 days. If you've had a miserable time, At the end of 21 days, watch TV. Do something else. But if you start tomorrow and your socks are not blown off by almighty transcendent deity, and if you uh, stop meeting with him, he knows your heart, and he knows you're more in it for what you can get than for what you can give. A successful quiet time is when you provide God you. (laughs) Not when you try to squeeze from God blessing. Be a blessing to the God who saved you. So let me challenge you. Do this for 21 days, and then I think there's a, a greater likelihood that it will become habitual, just like eating breakfast and brushing teeth. After a while, we don't think about those things. But if you miss out on those, you say, oh, my goodness, my teeth are good like long johns. Oh, I got a brush. Oh, I didn't have breakfast. I can't. I'm going to die. 
that's good. Oh, I missed my morning time with the Lord. Oh, I so miss it. Yeah, that's really good. See, that you, you kind of want to get to that point where it's so much a part of your life, you miss it when you don't have it. So here's the deal. Uh, try this. If you have any questions in the days ahead, let me know. Email, call, tap me on the shoulder. I'm a pilgrim just like you. We're working on this stuff. But it's a good, simple method. And by the way, if you want to take it to a, a higher level, Ask God to give you a friend who you could teach this quiet time method to and who you could meet with periodically over coffee or pizza, whatever your deal is, and share your quiet times. Wouldn't that be a cool relationship? Two men, two women, three women, three men, you know, keep it the same gender kind of a thing, better that way. You're having quiet time. You meet together. You take turns sharing with one another. That's the basis of your fellowship. Wouldn't that be a good idea to do that? Anyway, I hope you have a great quiet time. Just a quick review. The G stands for greet God. And the R is read his word. And the E is enter a thought. And the A is answer God. And the T is, and it takes how, how much time? It takes five minutes. Lord Jesus, we have eternity to look forward to. We don't want to be there as foreigners. <laughs> we want to be there as ones familiar with you, the key resident of heaven. Now's the time, therefore, to cultivate the relationship. Now's the time to get used to kingdom culture. Now's the time to cultivate the personal relationship. Thank you for loving us, each of us, just the way we are. And I pray for my brothers and sisters as I pray for myself that we would take all these flimsy, foolish excuses and discipline ourselves to have a great, quiet time with you, the Most High the goodest and the greatest Savior. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.